Okay, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Listen now to the sacred words found in the book of Genesis, chapter 45, verses 1 through 7. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph! Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been no famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some months ago, Walt Case said, people always like it better when you start with a joke. <laughs> and uh, I had gotten an email from the church saying, you might want to remember this is Backpack Sunday, and there may be a way to weave that into your sermon. And I had failed to do both things, find a good joke and figure out how to stick it in the beginning of the sermon. Um, and then Larry sat down next to me and gave me a twofer. So here we go. <laughs> Best back-to-school t-shirt for older students. Written across the top, July 3rd, 1776. Big graphic of Thomas Jefferson. Bottom of the shirt. Oh, rats, is that due tomorrow? I want to also thank Clark Thomas, who helped talk me through this sermon, the title of which is Forgiveness in the Family. And I'm talking about forgiveness in the family in a different kind of a way from a general forgiveness topic, because I think forgiveness in the family is hard. Family members can wound one another in very deep ways. Fifteen years ago, last month, my mother died. It was not unexpected. She had suffered from Alzheimer's for many years, and in a way it was a relief. What was most painful about the funeral weekend was dividing up her costume jewelry. 
Those of you who collect jewelry know there are categories of costume jewelry. There's good costume jewelry, there's just regular costume jewelry, and then there's broken and junk costume jewelry. And my mother had large quantities in each of those three categories. And my sister, the middle sister, who'd been the caregiver for eight years, brought it all out, organized in the categories. And before the three daughters started dividing it up, the caregiver sister said, there are two things that I would very much like to have. And she named them. And somehow, when we were all finished, the youngest sister, the attorney, had figured out how to get both of those pieces of jewelry. And I talked to my youngest sister and said, middle sister provided such wonderful loving care for eight years. Don't you think she should just get it because she wants it? And my youngest sister said, no, I've got it. And I was hurt, and I was angry, and then over the years, I just forgot about it. Until during one of our weekly Zoom calls, very recently, that same youngest sister said, Carol, who gets your jewelry when you die? <laughs> and I didn't know whether she was looking for ideas on how to divide it up, because she's got lots of daughters, daughters-in-law, whether there was something I had managed to get from my mother that she still wanted. But what really became clear was that I was hurt and I was angry all over again. I had failed to forgive her from the original circumstance. So I had work to do and I decided to look for some guidance in the Bible. And I read that wonderful story about the three sisters and their argument over their dowry. Oh no, wait, that's the Bible. There are hardly any stories about women and there's you know, no story about three sisters. But there is a fantastic story about brothers and an enormous squabble and coming to a place of forgiveness. And um, I thank Lynette for reading a portion of that story in Genesis this morning. And it's the story of Joseph and his many brothers. If you remember the outline of the story, Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in prison. He correctly interprets dreams, rises to be second in command in all of Egypt. Um, there's a famine. Joseph's family travels to Egypt to buy grain. The family is forgiven and they are given leave to settle in Egypt. But that path towards forgiveness is crooked. 
It's not a straight path. But I like the story of that path because I think it rings true. It sounds very human. When we read that story, we can see Joseph's humanity. We can see that you can intermittently love and then hate a sibling. So there are four encounters that Joseph has with his brothers and steps towards forgiveness occur at each of those points. So 22 years after telling Joseph's father that, oops, I guess he got eaten by something. Here's his bloody robe. The half-brothers are sent from Canaan to buy grain. They all set out except the youngest, Benjamin, and they stand before Joseph, who does not acknowledge that he recognizes them, but he knows them right away, and they do not recognize their brother at all. So the first thing that happens, it's a little deceitful, is Joseph keeps them in the dark. And as I go through the story, you might ask yourself, why was Joseph so manipulative? He's going to accuse them of, of wrongdoing things that he knows are untrue. I think the answer might be that if your siblings had thrown you into a pit and sold you for a slave, you might have a little trouble trusting them as well. So Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies. What they say, oh, no, no, we're not spies, and, and we have a younger brother at home. Joseph demands the younger brother be brought to Egypt, and then he throws all of his brothers in prison. Third day, he brings them out and reminds them he wants the youngest brother brought to Egypt. This is their second encounter. And during this encounter, the brothers again speak to one another in Hebrew, and they specifically reflect on the wrong that they have done to Joseph. So here we begin to get set up in the Bible conditions for forgiveness, an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. And in this case, they weren't even asked to do it. They freely acknowledged that they had mistreated their brother. Joseph is so overcome with emotion, he leaves, then returns, and takes one of the brothers as hostage, then has all their donkeys prepared with grain, sends them back, and unbeknownst to them, he's returned their money to the grain sacks as well. So they go back to Canaan, tell their father everything that happens, open the grain sacks, find the money, and think, oh, this is not good. Somebody will think, we stole all of this. They also tell their father, this guy wants Benjamin, and he's holding Simeon hostage. Jacob, the father, is distraught. He's already lost Joseph, to his knowledge, Simeon, and now potentially Benjamin. So he says, no dice. Well, eventually, all the grain is gone, and Jacob says, okay, 
time to pack up and head back to Egypt and purchase more grain. And the brothers persuade their father, you've got to let us take Benjamin with us. So the brothers arrive in Egypt. They're a little bit nervous because they got their money back. So when they get to Joseph's house, they immediately tell the steward, hey, there was some mix-up. We ended up with all of our money back again. And the steward says, don't worry, that's not a problem. And the steward brings out their brother Simeon. Joseph appears. And they give him gifts. So this is their third encounter. And once again, the conditions for forgiveness are being set up. They acknowledge a debt, and they try to make it right. Joseph sees Benjamin, and he's overcome with emotion. He, withdrew, he withdraws, and he cries. Then he comes back and orders a meal to be served. That night, Joseph tells the steward, load the brothers' donkeys with food and all their money, again returning the money. However, deceptively, Joseph also orders the steward to put his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. After the brothers journey back, Joseph orders the steward to go after him, stop him, say, the silver cup is missing, I have to search your sacks. Open the sacks, and lo and behold, there it is in Benjamin's sack, just where it was planted. The brothers are escorted back to Egypt. Joseph confronts them about the cup and demands that the one who possessed the cup become his slave. And this is the fourth encounter. In response, the older brother Judah pleads that Benjamin be allowed to return to his father and that he himself be kept in Benjamin's place as a slave. Now, Jewish tradition holds that Joseph had his steward plant the cup in Benjamin's sack to test his brothers. He wanted to know if they would be willing to risk danger in order to save their half-brother Benjamin since Joseph and Benjamin were born from Rachel. They were full brothers, the half-brothers among everyone else. He wanted to know if Benjamin would be betrayed the same as he had been betrayed when he was 17. Clearly, the brothers had changed and repented and would not repeat their error. Joseph reveals to them that he is, in fact, their brother. <laughs> They're speechless. He told them not to fear. What they had meant for evil, God meant for good. And then he commanded them to bring their families and entire households into Egypt to live because there were five more years of famine left. So in the Old Testament, forgiveness was extended when the error was acknowledged there was an effort to repay the debt. There was a demonstra demonstration that the lesson had been learned and the same mistake would not be made again. That feels right. I think when those circumstances are in place, it's relatively easy for family members to forgive one another. 
well, what am I supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when we do not have that level of satisfaction? When those circumstances are not in place, what are the expectations for forgiveness? And how does the New Testament modify the Old Testament story? When we pray the Lord's Prayer today, we ask for forgiveness, and we extend forgiveness. And there are lots of statements in the New Testament about you need to forgive one another. Lots of quotes like this, these two verses from Ephesians. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slanger. A slander, not slanger. <laughs> Slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Well, this is, this is not a process. I'm a process person. I want to know how do I get to that point where I'm able to forgive. And I remembered a book that I read that's older than the grudge that I've been carrying. So remember, it's more than 15 years I've been angry at this sister. The book is called Dare to Forgive, and it was written by Dr. Ned Hollowell. He has some very specific steps. Step one is to acknowledge what happened to you as real. The second is reliving and reflecting, and it's here he refers to something called the hook. What is it about this specific hurt that you keep holding on to that causes the ongoing anger and resentment? And then more interestingly, can you empathize with the other person? Can you think of a really good reason why they might have done what they did? The third step involves working it out, which means for me as a Christian, meditation, prayer, taking inventory of the blessings I have, undertaking forgiveness. And then finally, he refers to a step called renouncing anger. And that's his last step because he says sometimes even after you forgive people, that anger may return. And that means you need to go through another cycle of processing. So I thought, what is the hook? Well, in my case, the hook was my need for the interpretation of events that I had to be the correct interpretation. Kind, generous, caregiving sister, Selfish, mean, stingy sister. But maybe if I empathize with my younger sister, there was another reason. Maybe she was feeling my mother's loss so profoundly, she was looking for jewelry to provide a connection to the mother she had just lost. And when the middle sister said, oh, these two things, that's what I want, the middle sister, the caregiving sister, made those more important, 
more specific representations of my mother. And that's why the younger sister wanted them more than anything else. So finally, after 15 years, I have released the anger and resentment, and I have forgiven my sister. I want to close this sermon by acknowledging that this is, I'm talking about something, this is very personal to me, and perhaps there's no one else in the church who needs to forgive anyone, <laughs> ever. But maybe there is. And if so, I invite you to consider how you might undertake that work. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And as always, I pray that God's Spirit produces fruit within your lives. Amen, friends.